0: Volume One, Chapter Twenty One of the Marble Fawn. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Lars Rolander. The Marble Fawn by Nathaniel Hawthorne. Volume One, Chapter Twenty One. The Dead Capuchin. The dead monk was clad as when alive in the brown woollen frock of the capuchins, with the hood drawn over his head, but so as to leave the features and a portion of the beard uncovered. His rosary and cross hung at his side, his hands were folded over his breast, his feet he was of a barefooted order in his lifetime, and continued so in death, protruded from beneath his habit, stiff and stark, with a more waxen look then even his face. They were tied together at the ankles with a black ribbon. The countenance, as we have already said, was fully displayed. It had a purplish hue upon it, unlike the paleness of an ordinary corpse, but as little resembling the flush of natural life. The eyelids were but partially drawn down, and showed the eyeballs beneath, as if the deceased friar were stealing a glimpse at the bystanders to watch whether they were duly impressed with the solemnity of his obsequies the shaggy eyebrows gave sternness to the look miriam passed between two of the lighted candles and stood close beside the bier my god murmured she what is this She grasped Donatello's hand, and at the same instant felt him give a convulsive shudder, which she knew to have been caused by a sudden and terrible throb of the heart. His hand, by an instantaneous change, became like ice within hers, which likewise grew so icy that their insensible fingers might have rattled one against the other. No wonder that their blood curdled, no wonder that their hearts leaped and paused the dead face of the monk gazing at them beneath its half-closed eyelids was the same visage that had glared upon their naked souls the past midnight as donatello flung him over the precipice the sculptor was standing at the foot of the bier and had not yet seen the monk's features those naked feet," said he i know not why but they affect me strangely they have walked to and fro over the hard pavements of rome and through a hundred other rough ways of his life where the monk went begging for his brotherhood along the cloisters and dreary corridors of his convent too from his youth upward it is a suggestive idea to track those worn feet backward through all the paths they have trodden ever since they were the tender and rosy little feet of a baby and cold as they now are were kept warm in his mother's hand as his companions whom the sculptor supposed to be close by him made no response to his fanciful musing he looked up and saw them at the head of the bier he advanced thither himself ha exclaimed he he cast a horror-stricken and bewildered glance at miriam but withdrew it immediately not that he had any definite suspicion or it may be even a remote idea that she could be held responsible in the least degree for this man's sudden death in truth it seemed too wild a thought to connect in reality miriam's persecutor of many past months and the vagabond of the preceding night with the dead capuchin of to-day it resembled one of those unaccountable changes and interminglings of identity which so often occur among the personages of a dream but kenyon as befitted the professor of an imaginative art was endowed with an exceedingly quick sensibility which was apt to give him intimations of the true state of matters that lay beyond his actual vision there was a whisper in his ear it said hush Without asking himself wherefore, he resolved to be silent as regarded the mysterious discovery which he had made, and to leave any remark or exclamation to be voluntarily offered by Miriam. If she never spoke, then let the riddle be unsolved. And now occurred a circumstance that would seem too fantastic to be told, if it had not actually happened precisely as we set it down. As the three friends stood by the bier, they saw that a little stream of blood had begun to ooze from the dead monk's nostrils. It crept slowly towards the thicket of his beard, where, in the course of a moment or two, it hid itself. "'How strange!' ejaculated Kenyon. "'The monk died of apoplexy, I suppose, or by some sudden accident, and the blood has not yet congealed.' do you consider that a sufficient explanation asked miriam with a smile from which the sculptor involuntarily turned away his eyes does it satisfy you and why not he inquired of course you know the old superstition about this phenomenon of blood flowing from a dead body she rejoined how can we tell but that the murderer of this monk or possibly it may only be that privileged murderer his physician "'may have just entered the church.' "'I cannot jest about it,' said Kenyon. "'It is an ugly sight.' "'True, true! "'Horrible to see or dream of,' she replied, with one of those long, tremulous sighs, "'which so often betray a sick heart by escaping unexpectedly. "'We will not look at it any more. "'Come away, Donatello. "'Let us escape from this dismal church. "'The sunshine will do you good.' When had ever a woman such a trial to sustain as this? By no possible supposition could miriam explain the identity of the dead capuchin quietly and decorously laid out in the nave of his convent church with that of her murdered prosecutor flung heedlessly at the foot of the precipice. The effect upon her imagination was as if a strange and unknown corpse had miraculously, while she was gazing at it, assumed the likeness of that face, so terrible henceforth in her remembrance. It was a symbol, perhaps, of the deadly iteration with which she had doomed to behold the image of her crime reflected back upon her in a thousand ways, and converting the great calm face of nature in the whole, and in its innumerable details, into a manifold reminiscence of that one dead visage. No sooner had Miriam turned away from the bier, and gone a few steps, than she fancied the likeness altogether an illusion, which would vanish at a closer and colder view. She must look at it again, therefore, and at once, or else the grave would close over the face, and leave the awful fantasy that had connected itself therewith fixed ineffaceably in her brain wait for me one moment she said to her companions only a moment so she went back and gazed once more at the corpse yes these were the features that miriam had known so well this was the visage that she remembered from a far longer date than the most intimate of her friends suspected this form of clay had held the evil spirit which blasted her sweet youth and compelled her as it were to stain her womanhood with crime but whether it were the majesty of death or something originally noble and lofty in the character of the dead which the soul had stamped upon the features as it left them so it was that miriam now quailed and shook not for the vulgar horror of the spectacle but for the severe reproachful glance that seemed to come from between those half-closed lids True, there had been nothing in his lifetime viler than this man. She knew it. There was no other fact within her consciousness that she felt to be so certain. And yet, because her persecutor found himself safe and irrefutable in death, he frowned upon his victim, and threw back the blame on her. Is it thou indeed? she murmured under her breath. "'Then thou hast no right to scowl upon me so. "'But art thou real, or a vision?' "'She bent down over the dead monk, "'till one of her rich curls brushed against his forehead. "'She touched one of his folded hands with her finger. "'It is he,' said Miriam. "'There is the scar that I know so well on his brow. "'And it is no vision. "'He is palpable to my touch.' i will question the fact no longer but deal with it as i best can it was wonderful to see how the crisis developed in miriam its own proper strength and the faculty of sustaining the demands which it made upon her fortitude she ceased to tremble the beautiful woman gazed sternly at her dead enemy endeavouring to meet and quell the look of accusation that he threw from between his half-closed eyelids no thou shalt not scowl me down said she neither now nor when we stand together at the judgment-seat i fear not to meet thee there farewell till that next encounter haughtily waving her hand miriam rejoined her friends who were awaiting her at the door of the church as they went out the sacristan stopped them and proposed to show the cemetery of the convent where the deceased members of the fraternity are laid to rest in sacred earth brought long ago from jerusalem and will yonder monk be buried there she asked brother antonio exclaimed the sacristan surely our good brother will be put to bed there his grave is already dug and the last occupant has made room for him will you look at it signorina i will said miriam then excuse me observed kenyon for i shall leave you one dead monk has more than sufficed me and i am not bold enough to face the whole mortality of the convent It was easy to see by Donatello's looks that he as well as the sculptor would gladly have escaped a visit to the famous cemetery of the Cappuccini, but miriam's nerves were strained to such a pitch that she anticipated a certain solace and absolute relief in passing from one ghastly spectacle to another of long-accumulated ugliness. And there was besides a singular sense of duty which impelled her to look at the final resting-place of the being whose fate had been so disastrously involved with her own she therefore followed the sacristan's guidance and drew her companion along with her whispering encouragement as they went the cemetery is beneath the church but entirely above ground and lighted by a row of iron grated windows without glass a corridor runs along beside these windows and gives access to three or four vaulted recesses, or chapels, of considerable breadth and height, the floor of which consists of the consecrated earth of Jerusalem. It is smoothed decorously over the deceased brethren of the convent, and is kept quite free from grass or weeds, such as would grow even in these gloomy recesses, if pains were not bestowed to root them up. But as the cemetery is small, and it is a precious privilege to sleep in holy ground, the brotherhood are immemorially accustomed, when one of their numbers dies, to take the longest buried skeleton out of the oldest grave, and lay the new slumberer there instead. Thus each of the good friars in his turn enjoys the luxury of a consecrated bed, attended with a slight drawback of being forced to get up long before daybreak, as it were and make room for another lodger the arrangement of the unearthed skeletons is what makes the special interest of the cemetery the arched and vaulted walls of the burial recesses are supported by massive pillars and pilasters made of thigh-bones and skulls the whole material of the structure appears to be of a similar kind and the knobs and embossed ornaments of this strange architecture are represented by the joints of the spine, and the more delicate tracery by the smaller bones of the human frame. The summits of the arches are adorned with entire skeletons, looking as if they were wrought most skilfully in bas-relief. There is no possibility of describing how ugly and grotesque is the effect combined with a certain artistic merit nor how much perverted ingenuity has been shown in this queer way nor what a multitude of dead monks through how many hundred years must have contributed their bony framework to build up these great arches of mortality on some of the skulls there are inscriptions purporting that such a monk who formerly made use of that particular headpiece died on such a day and year, but vastly the greater number are piled up indistinguishably into the architectural design, like the many deaths that make up the one glory of a victory. In the side walls of the vaults are niches where skeleton monks sit or stand, clad in the brown habits that they wore in life, and labelled with their names and the dates of their disease their skulls some quite bare and others still covered with yellow skin and hair that has known the earth damps look out from beneath their hoods grinning hideously repulsive one reverend father has his mouth wide open as if he had died in the midst of a howl of terror and remorse which perhaps is even now screeching through eternity as a general thing however these frocked and hooded skeletons seem to take a more cheerful view of their position, and try with ghastly smiles to turn it into a jest. But the cemetery of the Capuchins is no place to nourish celestial hopes. The soul sinks forlorn and wretched under all this burden of dusty death. The holy earth from Jerusalem, so imbued is it with mortality, has grown as barren of the flowers of paradise, as it is of earthly weeds and grass. Thank heaven for its blue sky! It needs a long upward gaze to give us back our faith. Not here can we feel ourselves immortal, where the very altars in these chapels of horrible consecration are heaps of human bones. Yet let us give the cemetery the praise that it deserves. There is no disagreeable scent, such as might have been expected from the decay of so many holy persons, in whatever odor of sanctity they may have taken their departure. The same number of living monks would not smell half so unexceptionably. Miriam went gloomily along the corridor from one vaulted Golgotha to another, until, in the farthest recess, she beheld an open grave is that for him who lies yonder in the nave she asked yes signorina this is to be the resting-place of brother antonio who came to his death last night answered the sacristan and in yonder niche you see sits a brother who was buried thirty years ago and has risen to give him place it is not a satisfactory idea observed miriam that you poor friars cannot call even your graves permanently your own. You must lie down in them, methinks, with a nervous anticipation of being disturbed, like weary men who know that they shall be summoned out of bed at midnight. Is it not possible, if money were to be paid for the privilege, to leave brother Antonio, if that be his name, in the occupancy of that narrow grave till the last trumpet sounds?' By no means, signorina, neither is it needful or desirable, answered the sacristan. A quarter of a century's sleep in the sweet earth of Jerusalem is better than a thousand years in any other soil. Our brethren find good rest there. No ghost was ever known to steal out of this blessed cemetery. That is well, responded Miriam. May he whom you now lay to sleep Prove no exception to the rule as they left the cemetery. She put money into the sacristan's hand to an amount that made his eyes open wide and glisten, and requested that it might be expended in masses for the repose of Father Antonio's soul. End of chapter twenty one, volume one read by Rolander.